Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We would love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit our website at www.lifechurchofrichmond.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Welcome all of our, any of our guests today that are here. If this is your first time here, thank you for joining us today. And thank you everybody else for being with us in our first service following an amazing Easter Sunday. Uh, thank you to everyone who made last Sunday such a great day. I think anytime we can celebrate the resurrection of the Lord is a great day. Can you say amen? The problem is a lot of people only celebrate it one day a year, and I think we ought to celebrate Jesus every day of the year. Can you say amen? Uh, Our senior pastor would normally be here in this role today, but uh, he had to leave last night uh, to head down to his father's. Um, His father had another stroke yesterday, and uh, they had to rush him back to the hospital. And um, It's not a positive prognosis at this point, but... Knowing Clarence Thompson Sr. the way we do, you just never know. My man is like the strongest man on the planet. He just keeps coming back for more. Um, But I believe with all my heart that our prayer should be today that God would do his perfect will and that he would give peace and wisdom to Pastor Thompson and the rest of the family as they have to make some serious decisions. And uh, we just want to believe God together. Can we, before I preach today, can we pray for our pastor and his family uh, that the Lord would give them wisdom and give them strength and understanding, know exactly how to treat his dad further? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this day. I thank you that we're in your presence where anything is possible because we know that we serve a God who truly reigns over all. I pray today, God, that you would be with our pastor and his wife and his family. God, is his mother, his sister, and brothers. Lord, as they make serious decisions today, God, about the treatment further of his father, God, I pray today that you'd give them wisdom, that you'd guide the doctors to make the right decisions, Lord, and that they would know the right thing to do, God, that your perfect will would be accomplished. We're believing you and trusting you. We know you do all things well, and we believe that, God, anything is possible, and we're trusting you today to do your will in his life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Well, again, I'd like to say thank you for being here today. It's good to see everyone. Uh, Today we're going to deal with a very important question that I believe hits one of the most important topics in churches and people of faith, and yet, honestly, I think we don't talk about it very often. Uh, We're going to talk about spiritual doubts today because Jesus asked a question multiple times in Scripture, why do doubts rise in your mind or why do you doubt? And that's what my title is today, Why Do You Doubt? The good news is for some of you, you'd, you'd say you have no problem with doubts at all. You can go ahead and put my title up there, uh, Jeffrey. Uh, the good news is some of us would say, I don't have any problems with doubt. Some of us may live by the motto, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. How many of you believe that? You're quiet today. You're scared, you don't know where I'm going and you're worried. Some of you live by that motto. And if that's you, Ann, I'm so excited for you. You've got real, genuine faith that is so amazing that you can just, the Bible says it, I believe it, and that settles it. Some of you may even be willing to take it a step farther and say, Jesus said it, that settles it. Whether I believe it or not doesn't really matter. Amen? But for many people, for them, it's just not that simple. It's not that clinical. It's not that clean. I know a lot of people who'd say, I really want to believe, but I'm a little more skeptical. I uh, 
I'm a little more analytical. I uh, have some questions. I want to believe, but I need some questions answered first. And, and I need to hear some things before I can fully believe and engage. And I'll tell you honestly, I, I find myself more like that, naturally skeptical, which may be difficult for you to believe since I'm a pastor here. And, man, I'm like out there on a limb right now, and y'all are thinking, oh, Lord, where is he going? But it's It's true. In fact, growing up in church, I thought I was the only one who had spiritual doubt. I grew up in a faith tradition where pretty much if the preacher said it, that's the way it was. Questioning was not allowed. And if you did question, you were frowned upon. Higher education in some ways was even frowned upon because they didn't want you to get too smart because you might ask too many questions. So everyone else was on board immediately with whatever was preached. And there was sometimes I had questions. And it left me honestly in a bit of a quandary. Do I just go along to get along? Do I fake this or do I put myself out there as the only person on my little planet who had questions? I mean, I wanted to believe everything. I wanted to take everything at face value. But the way my brain works, I have to learn some things for myself. I have to discover. I have to research. I have to learn. And So I had questions. And so rather than seem as if I didn't have a rock-solid faith, I learned how to fake it. Maybe you've been there too. I learned to seem like I was always in agreement, hoping that someone along the way, all my questions would miraculously come to answer. So I read books by certain authors, and what they wrote just didn't connect for me or it didn't add up, so I assumed something was wrong with my faith because everyone else would see it and believe it, but I struggled with questions. I would beg God that he'd help me to overcome my doubts, to answer my questions. But after a while, I just got really good at faking as I struggled internally with my faith in God. Was the Bible real? Did it really happen that way? Did he really die for my sins? And if he did, why would he love someone like me? And then I'll never forget hearing a preacher basically condemn my generation because we asked too many questions. My mom and dad's generation, they had preachers that were stalwarts of faith, at least publicly, and they many times put those men on pedestals, and whatever they said was gospel, and you could take it to the bank, and so they believed whatever they heard, they believed. And then my generation comes along, and we've seen so many giants in Christianity fall to sinful activities, but we've kind of taken on the mentality of trust, but verify. And our kids, well, our kids' generations taught to question everything. They don't believe nothing. Anything you tell them, they're going to ask you why. They're going to ask you, are you sure? They're going to come back. doesn't matter if you said it. doesn't matter who said it. doesn't matter if the preacher said it. They're going to, they're going to ask you questions. So this preacher, well-intentioned, I'm sure, really damaged my psyche because I felt so guilty for daring to question, for daring to feel as if I didn't believe. I felt that my faith wasn't good enough because I dared to have doubts. And so for years, I learned to wrestle in my mind with my questions. But externally, I couldn't show that I had questions until I came to a place where my world fell apart. And suddenly, I had a crisis of faith. I'd never been allowed to wrestle out loud with the things that I've been taught to believe. But now I wondered if it was all a lie. As my world fell apart around me, I questioned whether God was real or just some myth that we'd made up to somehow get us a, a twisted si a sense of hope. Or did miracles occur? Or was it some psychosomatic mind trick? Was the Holy Spirit really active in the lives of people? Or was it just something we drummed up with high energy music and lots of dramatics? I'm just being real today. Some of you may not be able to handle this. 
But what I'm saying is I had real questions, real doubts, and I needed a real living God to pull me back from the brink and show himself strong in my life and reign in me and be real in my life. Doubts come in all different shapes and sizes. There are people who obviously doubt the existence of God or even more than doubt. They just believe with all their heart that there's no way that God exists and anyone believes in him is just foolish. There are other people who give God the benefit of the doubt. They're like, yeah, there's probably some higher power, but I doubt his involvement in human life, or I doubt that he would hear my prayers, or I've prayed about a lot and he didn't do anything, so he obviously is not paying attention, or he doesn't have the ability, or whatever. Some people would doubt that God could actually love them. If there is a God, after all I've done, God could not possibly love me, or certainly he could not forgive me. I know people who would say, I wanted to believe in God, then I met some Christians, and they were really some hypocritical folks, and how can I believe in God when his followers are so messed up? Doubt comes in all shapes and sizes. Now, for those of you who aren't normal church people, I'll let you in on some inside church people news. Church people can be mean to other church people. I don't know if you know that or not. And for those of you that that's a revelation for, I'm very sorry to be the one to break it to you. I hope you never have to experience it firsthand, but it's very true. And there's almost this implied belief in the church world, and sometimes it's even more than implied, that says, hey, if you have spiritual doubt, you're probably not really in our club. If you ever have doubts, that means you don't have faith. And if you have doubts, you're probably not really saved. And if you have doubts, then you're probably not really following Jesus. And if you have doubts, then we don't know if you really belong in the Christian circle. And that's what I, place I came to. I came to a place where because of fear of how people would respond, I buried it inside. And then when I had a real crisis of faith, when my world fell apart, I felt miserable and alone, and I even felt, God forbid, lost. So what I, want to, what I really want to do today is I want to take a different approach. I want to tell you today that it is okay that you have doubts. I want to reassure you today that if you have questions, it doesn't mean you don't love God. It doesn't mean you're no longer part of the club. And it certainly does not mean you're alone. Because if the people in this room will be honest, there is doubts all among us from any given time or date. And we've just got to be honest enough to say sometimes... I have questions. I want to reassure you today that God's not afraid of your questions. And he doesn't run away because you doubt. I would go so far as to say today that unless you actually push through some honest doubt, you will never experience the depth of faith that could come because you did. In fact, many people would say doubt is the end of real faith, but I'm here to tell you today that doubt is the beginning of real, sincere, honest, and grounded faith. And to do it, we're going to look at a guy who was branded as a doubter. His name is Doubting What? See, it's sad. All of you already know. That's my message. Thank you. You may be seated. No, I'm just kidding. In Bible stories, Sunday school classes, he's known as Doubting Thomas. Poor old Thomas. There are only 12 verses in the Bible that talk about Thomas. 12 lousy verses, and he's branded throughout history as a doubter. What I love about Thomas, though, and we're going to see it, is his life shows us that who he becomes 
is evidence that even the biggest doubters can one day have the strongest faith. And so today I want to look at him and I want to give you the context. Jesus had just risen from the dead. We celebrated it last Sunday. He appeared to two guys on the road to Emmaus, and we pick up his story just after that in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 24. It says, So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together. Verse 34, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Verse 35, And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. Of course they thought they'd seen a spirit. Why? Because don't forget this, many of them saw him dead. Dead. All the way dead. Not half dead, not partly dead, completely and totally dead. Can you imagine you saw him die? You saw him give up the ghost, as the scripture says. You saw him pierced in his side. You saw blood and water flow. You came and helped and took him off the cross. You were there when they wrapped his body, put him in a tomb. You saw Jesus dead, not barely dead, not partially dead, really, really dead. And that's what's going through the disciples' minds. Jesus was dead, and then we see him, oh, my, it must be a ghost. That's what's going through their disciple, the disciples' mind. And so, I don't know, I would have probably had the same thoughts. That can't be him. I just put him in the ground. That can't be him. Luke 24, 38, it says, And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? So Jesus here, he asked a big question. He asked them, Why are you troubled? And you can almost hear it with love and compassion, like, Come on, boys, why do doubts rise in your mind? We, don't you for, did you forget about me opening blinded eyes and healing deaf ears and raising the dead and promising you I'd give up my life and three days later I would be back? Did you forget all of that? This was my plan. I told you it was going to happen. You, why do doubts rise in your mind? Then he says, look at my hands and my feet. It is me. Touch and see. And what's interesting, and you may not notice this if you read just Luke 24, but Guess who wasn't at the meeting that day? Guess who didn't get the memo? Guess who didn't show up? Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. How do we know? Because John's gospel tells us in John chapter 20, verse 24, he says this. Now, Thomas called the twin. See, he had a, he had a previous nickname before it was doubting. Thomas called the twin, one of the 12, was not with them when Jesus came. Check this out. Thomas didn't go to church one Sunday. And we miss a lot when we don't go to church. There's a reason why we have a core value of gather around here because amazing things happen when we gather. It ought to be our priority to always make sure we show up in the house of God because you never know what God might do. Thomas missed a lot when he missed this particular gathering. What did he miss? He missed the presence of Jesus. He missed the power of Jesus. He missed the evidential proof that Jesus Christ was alive. He missed the peace be still of Jesus in the midst of all of his doubts and confusion. He missed the moment when Jesus breathed peace over them and told them it was going to be all right. You miss a lot when you miss church. John 20 and 25, the other disciples said to Thomas, because he wasn't there, we've seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands 
the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. What does Thomas really say there? He says, I won't believe. I want to, but unless I get to, unless I get to experience, unless I get to feel, unless I get to touch, unless I get to see, I just can't believe yet. I saw him dead. I haven't seen this thing that y'all say y'all saw. So until I get to, I just can't release the doubts that I have. I have to, I, I can't believe. See, it may be clean and simple for you because somebody told you that that was what happened. But for me, it, it's so important that I want more than just secondhand faith. I, I want a firsthand experience with a real Jesus Christ. And so Thomas may have had some questions, but I've had the same ones. I can't rely on your experience. i got to have one for myself. I can't rely on the fact that you got to see his hands and his feet. i got to see them for myself. They just kind of believe because other people believe. I, I'm not that way. It's one of the big problems I think is in American churches today is so many people kind of believe because their parents believe. Oh, I'm a Christian because that's the way I was raised. I go to this church on this corner because that's the church my family has always gone to. I mean, we're kind of Christians because we've got nothing else to do at that time of the week. And so we just kind of believe because our parents taught us that way. And then one day something happens. And it shakes what little bit of faith that you had. And one day you find yourself asking, do I really believe this? Or is it just my parents' faith? Is Jesus really the only way to God? I mean, this is a big world and there's a lot of people that believe. Can I really believe that narrow of a claim? I mean, does God really exist? And if he does, does Jesus really rise from the dead? Because do not miss the claims of the disciples. They claim that God loved us so much that he did not stay in heaven but he became one of us in the person of his son, Jesus, who was born of a virgin. And although he lived his life without sin, on the cross he could become sin for us and die as the perfect sacrifice in our place. That's a lot to believe. He claims that he didn't stay dead. He claims, and, and, and so do other eyewitnesses, that on the third day the stone was rolled away and he was not in there. They claimed he was risen from the dead. And if that is true, you see, it demands a response. If all of that is true, if God came, became a substitute for sin for you and I, and not only died for us, but then was resurrected that he might continue to have a relationship with you and I, it demands a response. And to me, the only reasonable response for a Savior who died for me is to turn around and live for him. Can you say amen? And Thomas said, this is important to me. I can't just take it at face value because you said it. This is the most important decision I will ever make in my life. I want to know, is this true? Because if it's true, it changes everything. And there are people who would say, oh, you can't have faith if you have doubt. Faith is the opposite of doubt. And I would argue that it's not. That faith may indeed be the opposite of something completely different. Because doubt drives me to faith. Hear me today. You can't have real faith unless you press through some sincere doubts along the way. Doubts are not the end of real faith. For so many people, doubt is the beginning of a solidified, rock-solid faith that will carry you on to glory and glorify God in all that you do. Thomas says, I want to believe, but I need just a little bit more. Some of you, perhaps, you're at the want-to-believe state. Perhaps, 
but maybe you just need a little bit more, and that's exactly what Jesus did for Thomas. Read on in John chapter 20, verse 26. It says that after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas this time is with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Now, this is really cool to me. Notice that the doors were locked. I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but the stone didn't keep Jesus in the tomb, and a locked door can't keep Jesus out of a room. Why? Because he's Jesus. These doors are locked. They didn't let him in. I don't know how he came through the walls. I mean, maybe he's looking at it going, well, here we go. I'm the son of God. And he just floats in. I don't know. Y'all like, like my sound effects? He walked through the walls. That's impressive to me. I know that I can run as hard as I want to, and when I hit that block wall over there, I'm bouncing backwards with a headache and a whole lot of other stuff hurting. But Jesus walked through the wall. That's impressive to me. Healing blind eyes, yeah, yeah, that's good for you. But walking through a wall, that's pretty good. So after he shook them up real good by walking through the wall, he says, peace be unto you. Then John 20, 27, he said to Thomas, reach your fingers here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Now, I want you to notice what Jesus did. Jesus didn't talk to any of the other disciples. They're all there. Jesus cared about the one who wants to believe but needed a little more. He ignores the rest of them. You stay over there, Peter. I've already talked to you. John, you sit down. James, stay in the back. Bartholomew, we've been ignoring you for centuries. We don't even know what you did. He goes straight to Thomas, the one who had said eight days earlier, got to see it for myself. Nobody reported to Jesus. Nobody gave him the memo, sent him an email, hey, Jesus, Thomas doesn't believe you're you. He wants to see the hands and the nails and the da-da-da-da-da. You got to go talk. to. That's not what happened. This God who knows everything walks right into the middle of Thomas' situation and goes right to Thomas who was doubting and says, you know what, Thomas, come on, here we are. Check out these nail prints. Check out this spear in my side. Check it out for yourself. Handle me and see if I'm not exactly who I said I am. Stay there, Peter. John, it's not your time. James, I'm not here for you. I'm here to talk to Thomas. And then what does he say? I love it. He says, and you can almost feel the love in Jesus' heart. He says, stop doubting and just believe. Don't be unbelieving but believe. I love this. Jesus gave Thomas exactly what he needed to believe. And notice what he didn't do. He didn't say, Thomas, you go sit in a room. You're in timeout. You have little faith. You can't be my disciple anymore. No, he gave him exactly what he needed to believe. Stop doubting and believe. And that's what happened to me. That's what happened to me. As I went through this crisis of faith where I lost my business and we prayed and begged God for, for, for provision and God did not provide it. Then my mom got sick and we prayed that God would heal her and God did not heal her. I promise you, I went to a place where I started to wonder, how come God, I pray for this person, I pray for that person, they get what they want and I don't get anything. Do you not love me? Do you not care about me? Are you even real? Did any of this matter? Am I wasting my time? What is the deal? I told the Lord and I told my wife, 
I don't want to know God based on my mom and dad's experience. I don't want to know God based on Pastor Thompson's experience. I want to know him based on what, I don't want to know him based on what some preacher told me when I was 11 years old. I want to know him for myself. I don't want to know him based on a group of beliefs that the church says is right. I want to know Jesus for me. I asked my wife, I said, if we all, all we had was our Bible, would our relationship with, what would our relationship with Jesus look like? If all I have is this book, what would my Christianity look like? So I asked Jesus to reveal himself to me, to show me himself. And he did. Show me your glory, Lord. Show me who you are. And he sent me to his word, and I began in the book of Matthew, and I started to learn Jesus. I spent almost a year over the first seven chapters of the book of Matthew because I wanted to know him. I wanted to know everything I could about him. More importantly, I wanted to know the Jesus that the disciples knew. I I wanted to know the one that they were willing to give their life for, the one who infuriated the religious people, the one who loved sinners, the one who kids were drawn to. And I studied and I found a Jesus that I'd never noticed before. He became alive to me. His spirit became active in me. He helped me to grow and become better than I was before. And I believe that's exactly what's happening to Thomas when Thomas is saying, touch me, feel me. When Jesus is telling him to touch me, see me, know me, I believe he's discovering a Jesus that wasn't just based on stories, that wasn't just based on somebody else's experience. He was discovering a Jesus that was alive and real for him. John 20 and 28, I love this. I love Thomas's response because after he's had his experience, Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. See, it became very personal for Thomas at that moment. He didn't say, the Lord God of my parents and of the other disciples is also my Lord and my God. It wasn't second-generation faith or second-handed faith. It didn't be passed on to him from anybody else. He had his own experience. It was a first-generation moment. He wasn't just believing in Jesus. He was believing Jesus. And there's a big difference between believing in Jesus and believing Jesus. See, even the demons believe in and they shudder. But he believed him and it became personal. You see, when I began to look and to struggle to, with my faith and struggle through this man named Jesus, trying to learn as much as I could and know him in a real way, I discovered a very personal God who was concerned about me right where I was. He knew my hurts. He knew my pains. He knew my questions. He knew my faults. And he didn't dissuade me. He didn't push me aside. He didn't lock me in time out. He didn't send me to another room. He loved me where I was, and he wrapped his arms around me, and he pushed me forward. He was not concerned about my doubts, but rather he helped me to overcome them by letting me get to know him. Not believing in him, but getting to know him. And I believe that if you're struggling this morning with your faith, if you're questioning God's plan or interest in you, a desire to get a hold of your heart, if you're struggling or having to have having doubts, I want you to know today you're going to eventually stop doubting. And I believe with all of my heart you're going to find a place of belief. For me, it was the Bible. It was a new commitment to his word that helped me to see Jesus for who he really is. I had a professor a few years back who really challenged me. He began this class that I was taking by asking If you had to defend the resurrection of Jesus to someone who did not believe in the power of miracles, how would you do it? 
The entire class was built around discovering an answer or an apologetic to those who don't believe in the resurrection. And one of the ways that you do that is you examine the historical text, the historical record, that which can be proven in history, and particularly you have to examine eyewitness accounts of the things that were happening 2,000 years ago to determine how in the world people could believe in this resurrection. If you want to talk about something that built my faith, when I think about eyewitness accounts to Jesus and who they were and their stories, that built my faith. When I think about Peter who said, Jesus, I'm going to be there for you, and Jesus said, you're going to deny me three times, and Sure enough, before the death of Jesus three different times, I don't know him, never heard of him, don't know who you're talking about. He denied and he failed Jesus. And then after the resurrection, Jesus appears to him and says, do you love me, Peter? And Peter's like, I'm trying. Yes, I do. And then he says, well, feed my sheep. And Jesus forgives him. And Peter is so transformed that he preaches on the day of Pentecost and one of the most powerful messages in history of the world. 3,000 people are born into the kingdom and Peter becomes a rock that the church is built upon that Jesus had predicted just a few years earlier he would be. And then when others come to Peter and say, unless you deny your faith, we're going to take your life, Peter says, I'll never again deny my Lord and my Savior. And they said, they were going to crucify you as your Savior died, but tradition tells us that he said, I'm unworthy to die as my Savior died. So they crucified him upside down, the same Jesus that Peter denied was the same Jesus that Peter was willing to die for. See, most people will tell you, you can concoct a story, right? We can all come up with a plan, with a lie. But when it comes down to being willing to die, are you willing to die for a lie? I mean, really? You and your buddies get together, you cook up a story, your 12 best friends, you hang out, you cook up this great story, this plan, hey, we stole the body, but we're going to tell everybody he's alive, and we're going to let the world know we're going to build this great religion on a, on a lie. And that, that works for a little while, but I've watched enough law and order to know that there aren't many buddies who will continue that story that lie when the end result of me believing that lie and standing for that lie and not being willing to give up that lie is that I'm going to die. The lie goes away real fast. But Peter says, nope, I'm willing to die. Something occurred that changed him forever. Think about James, the brother of Jesus. Not James, the brother of John, James, the brother of Jesus. And ask yourself sometime, what would your brother have to do to convince you that he is the son of God? People, guy that lives down the hall that you know and, you know, you know all about him. He's the son of God, half-brother of Jesus. The Bible tells us he was a skeptic. He didn't even believe that Jesus was who he said he was while he was alive. And later, that same James is elevated to a leader in the church. And years later, when the enemies of Christ came and said, renounce your faith or we'll kill you, he says, I won't do it. So they push him off the temple about 100 feet, but he doesn't die. They ambush him at the bottom of the temple, and they tell him to renounce his faith, and he looks up to heaven just as Jesus did and said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. And they beat him to death with a club, the half-brother of Jesus, an eyewitness who was willing to die. That builds my faith. I think about the apostle Paul who hated Christians. His hatred ran so deep that he killed them. 
And then in a, in a vision, he meets the resurrected Jesus Christ, and he's so transformed by what he saw that those he hated, he became the leader of, and he preaches ferociously and says, for me to live as Christ, to die would be gain. And then when they beat him, and they leave him for dead again and again, and finally they get him, and they torture him, and they say, renounce your faith, and he says, no, I'll never do so, and they behead the one who hated Christ, who is now willing to die for Christ. That builds my faith. And then I think about Thomas. I haven't forgotten Thomas. The one who's been unfairly branded as a doubter because, you see, Thomas may have been called a doubter in our minds and in our Sunday school lessons, but I believe Thomas was a man of amazing great faith. The Bible, the, the historical, uh, historical record tells us that Thomas took his faith And he, even though doubt was not the end of faith for him, it was just the beginning because Thomas got what he needed from God and he took that faith and he traveled farther than any other disciple traveled. He goes all the way to India to preach the gospel because he so believed they needed a relationship with the Christ that had transformed him. And one morning when they met him early in a cave, the the enemies of Christ, they came to him and they asked him to renounce his faith and he said, I will never renounce my Lord and my God. Those same words come true again. I'll never renounce my Lord and my God. And they drove a spear through his body. The Jesus that Thomas doubted and the Jesus that Thomas had questioned and the Jesus that Thomas wasn't readily to believe in, now this Thomas was willing to die for him. Thomas believed in Jesus enough to die for him after that experience. I would ask you this today. I'm not asking anybody here to, to die for him. It may come to that one day. I pray it doesn't. But do you believe enough today to at least live for him? See, do you believe enough today to live for him? That means I wake up tomorrow morning, guess who I'm living for? I, I got a great family, and I'm living for them. But you know what? Ultimately, I'm not living for them. I'm living for him. I'm not living tomorrow to build up wealth on this side. I'm living for an eternal wealth that only God can provide. I'm not living just to make it through to the day. I'm living for tomorrow. I'm living for a future that only God can comprehend or understand. Are you willing to live for him? Because it builds my faith. Every now and then when I think about these things, my faith gets louder and louder. It gets stronger and stronger. Sometimes my faith is talking so loud I can't even hear what my doubt has to say. And you see, faith is not always perfect. I have doubts just like everybody else. But when I press into God, he reveals himself more to me in a way that moves me through my doubts to faith that believes that the tomb is empty and he is risen and he died for my sins and he was buried and he rose again the third day and he loved me for who I am and he desires to make me into his image. If our musicians and singers and prayer team would come, The first Sunday after Easter, maybe you came today to this service with some doubts. And I'm going to tell you, you're not alone. And anybody that says you are is a liar and they are of the devil, their father. As I look down my beady nose through these glasses as a librarian might. I promise you today, you are not alone. And anyone who makes you feel alone because you have questions or doubts, they are not right. They need Jesus probably even more than you do. 
Today, if you're here and you have questions, you wonder, you don't understand, you're not quite sure, I, 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 I want to believe, but I'm not quite there yet. I got I to gotta have something. I got to have a moment. I got to have a touch from God. I got to experience something. If you're there today, you're not alone. See, there's so many of us, I believe with all of my heart. It doesn't take a lot of time. It doesn't take a long, long drawn out thing. You don't have to go through some amazing trial. You don't have to bury yourself in the sand. You don't have to go into the desert for 40 days. You don't have to fast for a year and let your belly button become your backbone. That's not what God calls for sometimes. Some of us just need a real moment with Jesus. Some of us just need him to come into our situation even though we've locked ourselves away and we've put ourselves inside of a wall and we've locked ourselves away We need him to come to us anyway. We need him to make his way through the walls that we've built into our life. And we need him to show up right in the middle of our situation and say, here I am. You wanted to feel my hands? Here they are. You wanted me to touch you. You wanted to experience me. You wanted to see me in all of my glory. Well, here I am. And I believe if you'll you'll be honest enough with God to say, God, I, I, I got some questions and I got some doubts and I don't know for sure and I'm struggling with all of this, I believe he will show up in your life. And if you'll be real enough and honest enough to look around your life, you'll begin to see his handiwork all around you. And you'll begin to look and notice that everywhere I turn, I see Jesus doing things. I see Jesus moving things. I see Jesus positioning me to accomplish greater things. I I see him working on my job, and I I see him working in my home, and I see him working amongst my kids, and I see him working in my school, and I, I just see him. But I've got to be willing to admit, right now, I'm not quite sure. But God, I, I want to know. I, I want to. I want to experience you. I, I, I want not just to hear about it from mom and dad. I, I don't just want to hear about it from the preacher. I, I don't just want to hear about it from my Sunday school teacher. I don't just want to hear about it from my youth pastor. I don't, I don't just want to hear about it. I don't want to go home and, and watch the internet and see on YouTube or see on Facebook about how they had this and this accomplished. I, I want to see it in me. Because until it becomes real for you, until it becomes real for you, it's just something that we think about. Maybe we believe in. Maybe it's just something we believe in. We don't really believe him. I want to believe him. I want to believe the Jesus that walked the earth 2,000 years ago, the Jesus that walked along the shorelines of Galilee, the Jesus that, that looked at people that were blind and gave them back their sight, the Jesus who spit in mud and put it in some man's eyes, and that old nasty mud went and washed it away, and it became eyeballs in his sockets. I want to believe the Jesus who, who, who took a man who could not walk and he reached down and said, take up your bed and go home, and the man walked home with his bed on his back. I want to believe that Jesus is in my life. I don't just want to believe in the stories. Yes, they happened 2,000 years ago. Woo-hoo. Uh-uh. I want to believe Jesus right now, today. Because only when I accept the fact that Jesus is working today, not yesterday, not in somebody else's life, not in somebody else's place, but right here, right now, in my life, 
then I get to experience the fullness of who he is because he wants to love on me and he wants to have a reciprocal relationship where I experience his love and I pour my love out on him as well. So God, I'm praying right now as the people of God stand in this house, I'm praying right now, Lord, that we would know you, that we would experience you in a great way. God, that we would not be hemmed in or boxed in by our doubts, but that rather we would acknowledge that they exist and yet we need you and want you to wash them all away. Because today, God, my doubt is not the end of my faith. It is the beginning of my faith. It is where my faith begins. Right now, God, I know there's a future that you have planned. I know there's a great stuff that's coming down the road that you've already mapped out ahead of time. Great works for me to accomplish. But I've just got to have a moment with you. As they began to sing, I felt the Lord when I was trying to get my mind straight before I walked up here today. They were singing this song, and I felt like the Lord told me we need to sing that again at this time because there's something powerful about recognizing that in a moment, God can take you from one place to another. He can take you from brokenness to wholeness. He can take you from hurting to healed. He can take you from, to, from a place where you don't know the way out to a place where God is in charge and God is leading you and guiding you. We'll just allow him to truly move into our life and show us his perfect glory in our life. So I want to open this altar today. We have people that will pray with you. If you're at a place of question, if you're at a crisis of faith, these people will guide you and lead you toward a closeness with God. More importantly today, you can come and touch God for yourself. Experience him in a great way. Would you come today? This altar is open. Show us your glory. Show us your glory in wonder and surrender we fall down. Show us your glory, show us your glory, let every burning heart be holy ground. Show us your glory, show us your glory. 
him today? Aren't you thankful you know him today? There's nothing quite like God's ability to change us from who we were to who we're going to be. I think so many of us, we get trapped in thinking that because we were, we can't ever be. Because I did this, because I went down that road, because I pursued that thing, because I opened myself up to that, I can't ever be what God really wants me to be. But I'm here to declare today that we serve a God who takes broken things and makes them new. We, take, we serve a God today who takes hurt things and makes them whole. We serve a God today who, when others would cast you out, he opens his arms and pulls you in. We serve a God today when others would sideline you or push you out or set you down. He puts you in the game and says, score the touchdown, baby. We serve a God today who's not afraid and he's not intimidated by your yesterday. He's not afraid of your past. He's not afraid of how ugly and damaging it may look because I promise you today, he's not so much concerned about your yesterday as he is about your tomorrow. He's looking forward to the day that he's gonna celebrate with you on streets of gold. I wish sometimes we could get a whole dose of godly forgetfulness and we could forget our past like Jesus forgot our past, put it under the blood and walk in faith and believe him for the tomorrow that he has planned. I just love him today and I'm so thankful, aren't you? Before we go, why don't we give him a great shout of praise and thanksgiving unto his name. He's so worthy. We bless you. We honor you. God, there's none like you. We're so thankful, Lord. Blessed be your name today, Jesus. God, we give you glory and praise. We thank you, Lord. We thank you. Oh, I'm so thankful, God, that in your presence anything is possible. All things can be accomplished, Lord. We trust in you. I want you to go home this week. And I promise, I know, you're going to run up against stuff. Everybody does. We all got stuff. You're going to go home and you're going to face stuff. I know sometimes people, it's not my job to tell you that. It's my job to tell you, woo, you're going to overcome everything. God's going to be so good. That's my job. But I'm going to do my other job. And my other job is to be realistic. And the reality is this. You're going to go home today. Some of you, before you leave the parking lot, something's going to jump on you. Something's going to give you a hard time. Something's going to tell you all. That preacher, he told all that stuff. But I know the real you. And this is who you really are. And you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall. That's real, right? That's real life. That's who we, we know we are. But when it happens, I want you to something to rise up into you and say, there's nothing too hard for God. Sarah was a woman 90 years old. Her husband was even older than that. And God said, you're going to have a baby. Now, if God told some of you seniors that you're going to have a baby, I'd have a line at my door for counseling and a whole lot of tissue boxes for weeping. But that's what he told her. And then when she laughed, because she thought it was a joke, said, so the, the angel said, is there anything too hard for the Lord? I promise you today, I don't care what the devil whispers in your ear. I don't care what your neighbor says. I don't even care what your spouse says. Because sometimes those closest to us can whisper the worst things. Whatever comes against you this week, I want you to stand up with a holy boldness and say, is there anything too hard for the Lord? 
The Lord is on my side. If he wasn't on my side, God only knows where I'd be. I want to live for him, and I'm going to let him work through me. Can you say amen? So go out of this place today in a sense of boldness, in a sense of I'm not intimidated by this world or its system. I have had an encounter with Jesus that changed me forever. And my faith is strong, even though I've got some doubts along the way. My doubts is just the beginning of my faith. Can you say amen? God, we thank you for this day. Lord, we're so thankful to know you, to experience you. God, to not just know about you, but to know you, to know your character, to know that you're working, to know that you are a part of us. And even when I don't see your hand, I can trust your heart. Even when I don't know it exactly how it's going to all pan out, I know that you have the end set up before the beginning. And we're going to trust you in all things today. God, go with your people. Let us have an amazing week as we recognize your hand around us and doing the work in us that we can't even begin to imagine on our own. We trust in you, O oh God. Do your will today. We thank you, Lord, for the people of God who celebrated you today. And then one last time, we're going to give our hand praise to him, and we're going to clap and honor him today. As you're dismissed, why don't you greet one another, love on each other. We're so thankful for Jesus today.